0: You're listening to the Whitewater Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org slash give. Let's dive into this week's message together. Well, hello, Whitewater Church. It's Kevin bringing you the message for today. Many years back, I remember going to my very first indoor Rock climbing experience. I was super excited and just it just looked really fun. And so I got harnessed in, got a semi wedgie right, and they brought me to the rock face and they anchored me into the rope. And I remember the gentleman saying to me, "Hey, if you if you find yourself uh, getting stuck, just just let go. Or if you feel like you're just getting really tired, you can just do the same thing." and the rope and the harness will, will catch you. No problem. So I started climbing and boy, I quickly realized that this was a lot harder than it actually looked. And so I got up about seven, eight feet. My forearms were burning and they're starting to turn into jello. And I found myself stuck. I, I couldn't go any higher. And I didn't have any energy to go any lower. And so the weirdest thing happened. As I'm about to fall, I find myself gripping the wall and the rock holders even more. I can hear people say, Just let go! And I couldn't do it. When I hit the point of sheer exhaustion, finally I let go. I was fearful. And lo and behold, the rope and the harness caught me. You know... When I think about prayer and I think about trusting in God and finding our confidence and our strength in Him, I think about that rock climbing experience. How many times when life is going good and we think about prayer, when we think about finding our confidence and trust in God, we're like, yeah, no problem. Just need to let go and God will catch me. But then when we actually find ourselves in the midst of suffering, of hardship, of turmoil, we find ourselves trying to grab a little bit more control and clinging closer and closer to the rock face. When the whole time you can hear that voice saying, just let go, I'll catch you. So we're going to be actually going into a Psalms today. It's a beautiful prayer by none other than King David himself. And this is the psalm. It's Psalm 16. And we'll be reading from the Common English Bible today. And David prays this. Protect me, God, because I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And apart from you, I have nothing good. Now, as for the holy ones, in the land and the magnificent ones that I was so happy about. Let their suffering increase because they hurried after a different God. I won't participate in their blood offerings. I won't let their names cross my lips. You, Lord, are my portion and my cup. You control my destiny. The property lines have fallen beautifully for me. Yes, I have a lovely house. I will bless the Lord who advises me. Even at night, I am instructed in the depths of my mind. I always put the Lord in front of me. I will not stumble because He is on my right side. That's why my heart celebrates and my mood is joyous. Yes, my whole body will rest in safety because you won't abandon me or my life to the grave. And you won't let your faithful follower see the pit. You teach me the way of life. And in your presence is total celebration. Beautiful things are always in your right hand. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that you are drawing and calling us toward yourself. God, thank you that you care that you're good, that you're wise, and that you really want us to experience a heart full of joy. And so, Lord, I thank you that you get to use my studies, my reflections as a way to touch people's heart. So, Lord, where my words and my own study fall short, God, I pray room for the Holy Spirit to do what he knows best pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to draw your attention to the first two words of Psalm 16, because this is a key to really appreciating what this prayer really is all about. And the two words are, protect me. See, I think as we initially kind of read through the text doesn't really seem like there's all that much that's happening. seems like life is fairly good for David. So what is he asking protection from? David, King David, is experiencing a profound conflict in his inner being. It's not very clear. And this conflict is not something that's external. So there's no war or threat of war. There's no illness or disease. There's no uh, family or relational issues or strife that's happening. This is something that keeps him up late into the night that he wrestles with, and he hasn't been able to find the answer to. I know some of you are like, give me the answer to what is he asking protection from? You're gonna have to be patient with me because um, if I do it right now, um, it won't give that oomph to the to 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 the message, or I don't think you'll be able to really appreciate what he's trying to get at. And so, towards the end, um, we'll kind of discover what that is. So, in the meanwhile, I just want you to bear with me. And so, in this message, I'm going to provide four observations that I believe are helpful when it comes to our own prayer lives, and specifically as it pertains to putting our confidence and our trust in God. The first observation is that when it comes to prayer, what we see in Psalm 16 is David's realness. And maybe another way to put it is, authenticity matters when it comes to prayer. Now, look with me to verses two, three, four, and 6. Let's see how real David is. In verse 2, David says to God, he says, You're my God. Apart from you, I am no good. And he's just being very honest, and he understands that, sure, I can do good things. Sure, I can look like I'm a spiritual and real uh, moral person. But he says, I I know the the motives. I I know where that comes from. Ultimately, it's all self-absorption. It's all about me. It's not about other people. I can disguise it, but Lord, only good comes from you. It's being really real there. And then, interestingly, in verses 3 and 4, translations interpret this a little bit different. But uh, for our purposes, from the CIB, um, EB version, it says, now as for the quote-unquote holy lands, holy ones in the land, and the magnificent ones, the ones that I used to look up to, I pray that their suffering increases. What, what, what's going on here? Is David like um, just being really uh, vindictive and he's just wanting harm and suffering to increase? I don't think so. Just understand that he's being real, right? He's not trying to be very pious. He's just being very honest about his heart as he experiences his own relationship with the Lord. And he looks at these people who used to follow the Lord and now have turned to different gods, he's like, oh my gosh, his heart breaks because they're missing out. And he wants their sufferings to increase because he understands something about the power and the nature of suffering. Suffering has the ability to open the mind, emotions, and the heart like nothing else. And so he wants the sufferings to increase so that there's a chance that they would return back to God and experience how amazing and wonderful God is. In verses uh, 6, he says, Yes, I have a lovely home. You know, this kind of sticks out as a little bit strange, but what's going on here? He's praying. He's saying, you know, God, let their suffering increase. God, you, I, you're in full control. And yes, I have a beautiful house. He's just being real. I remember there's a guy that um, that I know and at a church that I used to go to way back when. He was asked to pray for the snacks right before our fellowship. And so he prayed, and this, I I quote you, this is how he prayed. He goes, hey, what's up, God? Um, We're about to eat these snacks, and I know they're not the healthiest for our body, full of sugar and full of carbs, but it's the best we got. And um, for that, I'm thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. And I remember people commenting and just saying, man, we really appreciate his prayer because it's just so real and honest. But because I was a little bit of a, like a religious person, I was like, man, that seemed a little bit irreverent, right? You can't just be authentic and real and replace it with irreverence, right? Anyways, I think God appreciates when we're authentic with him. You know, your doubts, your confusions, your anger, he can handle it. And so when we approach God, he wants us to approach him with the utmost honesty and realness. The second observation that I make is that David focuses on declaring who God is to him, right? See, we do this all the time. We do this thing called self-talk. Man, I'm no good. I'm, no, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. I, I don't know if this is going to work. And what ends up happening? becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, David's just taking that and putting on, you know, into the positive and saying, well, I'm just going to declare the things that I know about God to be true. And we find this in verses 2 and 5. He says, God, you are my Lord. The more specific translation is, God, you are my master. God, you own me. God, you're the man. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup. In a land where food was scarce, he looks at the banquet table and he says the main meal, the main dish, and the choice wine in the cup. Lord, that's who you are. You satisfy me. God, you give me energy. Like, Lord, it's in you that I find sustenance and in my life. He says, you are it. If there's anything in life that makes sense, if there's anything in life that gives me life, it's you. You know, and I do this in my own prayer life, and I would encourage you to do this as well. And I focus time by stating and declaring, God, to me, God, you're good. God, you're you're so wise. And not only that, but the way in which you work is so timely and mysterious. God, I know that you care, and I know that anything is possible in, in, in you. And I think about these things, and the more that I think about them, I find myself finding more and more confidence in God. God, you're good. You're good. You're good. God, you're powerful. God, you're loving. God, you're wise. And then my heart shifts to believing those things more and more. The third observation that I make in David's prayer is that he welcomes God's coaching and counseling. If you look with me to verse 7, it says, I will bless the Lord who advises me. Even at night, I am instructed in the depths of my mind. King David welcomes God to tell him all these things that need to happen in this life. You know, I once heard that heaven is a place where you get to go and God tells you every single moment of your life, things about him and what you need to do. And you're like so satisfied and like, this is awesome. And you can't wait to obey it. And hell is a place where you're just kind of left. You can do whatever you want. No one will ever tell you what to do. And you'll never find satisfaction. I think about a person who's really into basketball and having a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Michael Jordan to come and coach. Can you, can you think about that person who's learning how to play basketball? Don't you think that they will be really welcoming of any advice, right? I, I, bet I could almost see them and just begging, be, begging Jordan, anything you want to tell me, right? I, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how, sm- how simple, how hard it is. Just tell me. I want to listen because when you're in... The presence of greatness, infinite wisdom and skill. You want to be counseled and coached. It's just how it is. And so that's King David as he lies awake at night, troubled in his soul. He thinks about God and God counsels him and he welcomes it and he's satisfied with it. What is keeping David up at night? Remember I said this is the key to really understanding this prayer. What is he asking protection from? Now, David's relationship with God is really good. His relationship with material possessions like his home, his inheritance, it's healthy. Life is going well. There's joy in his heart. He's optimistic. He has hope. He wakes up full of life. What is he asking protection from? And here's what I believe it is. And the answer is found in verses 9 and 10. That's why my heart celebrates my mood, and my mood is joyous. Yes, my whole body will rest in safety because, hear this, you won't abandon my life to the grave, and you won't let your faithful follower see the pit. See, David, life is going so good. Every day that he wakes up and he encounters God and he encounters the gifts of God, it gets better and better and better and better. And then what keeps him up at night is the realization that he's going to die and that all this is going to come to an end. And this is really what I believe he's struggling with and is having such a hard time. God, it doesn't make sense. Like, life is amazing. And then one day, boom, it's all going to stop. And I bet you he also has, in the back of his mind, a conversation he had with a prophet. And this comes from 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. When the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, When the time comes, King David, for you to die, you will lie down with your ancestors. Meaning, you will rot in the grave. And I will raise up your descendants one of your very own children to succeed you. And I will establish his kingdom and he will build a temple for your name and I will establish your throne forever and ever. See, he had that probably in the back of his mind. I'm experiencing God and it's wonderful, but I'm gonna die. But yet somehow the key to this conundrum, this mystery is this person who's going to have an everlasting throne. I don't get it. But what does David do? He lets go and he falls into the arms of God and he says, you know what? I don't need to know it. My guess is that there are some people today as they're listening who have experienced that. You're trying to figure out why and how is this going to work? And no matter how much you rack your brain around it and how much, how late you're up until the night, you can't quite figure it out. Be like David. David. Let go and surrender to the goodness of God. Many years ago, um, when I was in Tucson, Arizona, I got a call about 11.50 p.m. from my brother. Nothing good happens when your brother calls you at 11.50. And I immediately answered the phone. I said, hey, hey, hey what's up? Why, why are you calling? Because <laughs> of my anxiety. And I could hear in his voice, he goes, uh, Mom, mom's in the ER. I was like, what's going on? He says, yeah, her, her stomach f- filled up with blood and she has to go through surgery. And he said, the surgeon doesn't think she's going to make it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this just crushed me. I said, keep me posted. See, my mom had cirrhosis of liver because of autoimmune disease. She needed a liver transplant. And so the blood couldn't filter through her liver fast enough. And so it was waiting. And basically some of the main um, arteries or veins in her esophagus just popped. And so it just flooded her stomach. So anyways, I took an emergency flight back to, to Seattle. And uh, I remember visiting my mom and just 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 fearful. And I went to sleep over at my parents' house. And I couldn't really sleep that night. And I was praying to God. And I was saying, God, I was being really authentic. I said, God, I know that you're able. I know you're powerful. But I don't think you care. Like, I really don't believe you care about my mom. I don't think you care about me. I said, I'm, I'm open, but that's how I feel right now. And as, as I was laying down, the thought of Jesus ran into my mind. And I thought about it a little bit more, and then that still small voice said, look to Jesus. So I looked to him, and I thought about him. And I thought about him hanging on the cross, and immediately, I was reminded, he does care. You know, my mom got successful liver transplant, and she's still with us to this day. See, King David had that attitude of prayer. He was authentic. He was real. In his own way, he declared who God was. He was open to God's instruction. He loved God telling him the truths, the revealed truths. And all of that led to what? Greater confidence in God. In verse 11, this is what and how he concludes, You teach me the way of life, and your presence is total celebration. Because things are always at your right hand. When life becomes difficult, we trust in God. And we see that's modeled by David. But we have something even better than what David had. We actually have that key, that mystery. How is this all gonna work? How is it that I can enjoy God and not let the finality of death take its final place? Many thousands of years later, His descendant, Jesus comes, dies on the cross. Three days, he resurrects with new life. And the promise is those who put their faith in God and Christ will be resurrected with him and get to enjoy forever the goodness and the gifts of God. So we have something greater where we can place our trust, and it's in him. So I want to invite you today to do that to place your confidence in him. Amen. Thanks again for listening with us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Whitewater Church, reach out at info at whitewaterchurch.org or click contact in our show notes. And if you'd like to get involved in what Whitewater's doing to bless our communities, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org slash give. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.